Today we're kicking off, uh, as Pastor David said earlier, we're kicking off our new sermon series, Hijacked. Um, and in this, we are going to be tackling worldview. Uh, and before we get too far into um, humanism, which is what we talk about specifically today, we're going to deal with the what and the why of worldview. So today we're going to start with just kind of a general overview um, of what worldview is and why it matters to us and what God has to say about this. And then we'll dig into to something called uh, humanism. And then over the course of the series, we're going to be tackling some different things that are starting to creep. Not even starting. They have. They've crept their way into the church. And we want to deal, right? We want to, we want to make sure that we Christ followers understand what God has said and why that matters. Okay, so that's what we'll be dealing with. Um, everybody has a worldview, right? Tribes in the rainforest, well-to-do politicians, um, idealistic college students, uh, hard-working farmers, right? It doesn't matter. Everybody has a worldview. And worldview just simply is this. It's the way that we see the world around us, the way that we perceive it and the way we process the world around us. And some of us think, well, why does something like that even matter? Why should we even worry about worldview? Shouldn't we just go live life? And, and I get it to a, to a degree. We're, that's not wrong. The problem with worldview is that it impacts all of us, even if we don't understand it. It's like a lens, right? If you wear glasses, you know what I mean. If you have contacts on, even better. But it's like this thing that's always there, and it filters. It colors the way that you process the world around you, sometimes you don't even realize it's happening. Because it just seems normal. It just seems right. Okay, and so this is the way that it works with worldview, and so it colors how we see things. It, it, it has an impact on how we figure out what it means when something good happens in our life. And it has an impact on how we figure out what it means when something bad happens in our life. And the way we interact with people that we like and the way we interact with people that we don't like and what our whole reason for being is in the first place. And so all of this has to do with the way that we see and process the world around us. And so worldview matters. For those of you here that are Christians, for those of you here that are sitting in here and you have said, you know what, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm all in on Jesus. I trust that he is good. I trust that he is the creator of the universe, and I am following Jesus Christ. He is my salvation, and he is my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm committed to following him. For those of you that have made that decision, what we would expect is that we would have a biblical worldview. Right? Here at Blessed Hope, you should know this, unless it's your first time and you're hearing it for the first time, but otherwise you should know it. We believe and follow the Bible. We believe that the Bible is, in fact, the inerrant word of God. I'm self-conscious now because you made fun of me for drinking coffee while I preach. For those of you that listen to our podcast, David poked fun at me in the fact that I stop and, and drink coffee. I was saying that that's for your benefit so I don't get that gross white corner of the mouth stuff going on. But now I'm self-conscious, like in all areas. Thank you. All right. Here's the problem. Many Christians will look at this and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bible is great. Of course we believe in the Bible. 
The problem is that there are a whole lot of Christians who will say, yes, the Bible is great. Of course, we believe in the Bible. The problem is, if I haven't said it, you have no idea what's in here. I mean, let's just be, as, as Pastor David would say, let's just be blunt honest. If I don't tell you what's in here, or Pastor David hasn't told you what's in here, or some famous internet preacher hasn't told you what's in here, you don't know what's in here. So you're like, oh yeah, the Bible. That's the Word of God. We believe it. But the problem is you don't know it. And so it's not hard for the culture to start to hijack some of what is biblical truth and start to put a glossy sheen on it and make it look different and make it feel different. And of course, when the culture changes what the Word of God says, it always makes it easier. It never makes it harder. And so this has been hijacked. But here at this church, we believe this to be true. Our, our, our staff, our, our elders, our leaders pride themselves on knowing and studying this word so that we stay true to this. It's a big deal, and it matters. So here's what we're going to do. As we dig into this, I want us to understand that there is a biblical worldview, but it's been hijacked. And we need to understand, because Christ followers, most Christians, most people who call themselves Christians, do not have a biblical worldview. In fact, good research from the uh, American Faith um, and Cultural Institute, uh, and this research is led by George Barna, and if you know anything about research, we're, we're good on research by George Barna. Um, it's, it's solid. It can be trusted. Good research that's a couple years old tells us that 70% of American adults— 70% identify as Christians. That's a lot, right? Like on the surface, that's great news. 70% of adults identify as Christians. Now, here's where it gets wonky. Out of that 70%, only 42%—I'm sorry, 48%—agree that they want to have a biblical worldview. Right? That means, that means out of the people that say I'm a Christian, at least a quarter of them say, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't want to know what the Bible says. I don't need to follow the Bible in the way I live. That should be a red flag right away that we're not sure when they say, oh, I'm a Christ follower, that they really mean it. Because if you're going to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I just don't care about the things he tells me. That's problematic. But it gets worse. Good research tells us that, that out of those um, then— 48% of people that still say, yes, I am a Christian and I want to have a biblical worldview, upon further examination, the number gets down to 10%. 10% of Christians have what we would reasonably call, and that's not a perfect view, have a, a biblical worldview. So when you look at the math and the way that they did this, that basically means that they took 40 direct belief statements and practice statements out of Scripture. And out of 40, if you got 32 of them that you agreed with, that's 90%. If you got 32 of them that you agreed with, they would say, okay, you are a disciple and you have a growing biblical worldview. It may not be perfect, but you're growing. 10%. Let's put that in perspective of Vinton. We got about 5,900 people living here. Right? At least the last census. We had about 5,900 people living here. That means we've got, guys, 10%. 10% of 70% 
the number of people that say, yes, I have a biblical worldview, even though we may have 3,500 people, 4,000 people in this town that say, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I follow Jesus. All of a sudden, we're down to this astronomically small number of people that actually believe the Bible and have a biblical worldview. Why? Because our worldview has been hijacked. That's why a series like this matters. Because can, can you imagine what it would be if 70% of Vinton believed what God said in his word? Can you imagine the, the kind of place that we live in if 70% of the people in Vinton, Iowa, believe what God said in his word? Guys, it would be ridiculous. We wouldn't be singing songs about bring your kingdom here. We'd be singing songs about take your kingdom over there. Because it's here, and it's in power, and it exists, and we need to invade. Listen, this matters. It matters, right? So we need to understand, what does God say, and how has it been hijacked? All right. There are three different kinds of worldviews. They're simple. There's a biblical worldview, which is we view life through the lens of God's word. There's an anti-biblical worldview that says we refuse to believe that the Bible is God's word, and we refuse to believe that we should follow it. I want to say this about an anti-biblical worldview. People that hold to a staunch anti-biblical worldview, listen very carefully to me, please, they are not our enemy. Many of us are good at treating them like they're our enemy. They have not been radically changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They fundamentally believe differently than we believe. They don't have a foundation. The Holy Spirit is not living inside of them. It makes sense that they wouldn't believe the things in God's word because they don't necessarily believe in God, or at least not the God of the Bible. Okay, these folks that have an anti-biblical worldview, they are not our enemy. They are our mission field. We're not mad at them when they don't believe the things the Bible says, but we're evangelistic, we're salt, we're light, we get in the community, we try to spread the love of God with no strings attached, and, and, and we try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that matter. We're not mad at people. When, whenever we say we're going to have a series or, or sermons or something on worldview, people automatically start to think that we're going to rail against everybody that thinks differently than we do. Listen to me. People that don't view the Bible as the inerrant, authoritative word of God, they are not our enemies. They are our mission field. And if we are going to convert them or persuade them or challenge them with the gospel, it's going to happen through love. It's going to happen through respect. And it's going to happen through intentional outreach and relationships. Holding up a picket sign, stamping your feet, and getting louder will do you zero good. That's not who we are. Okay? So, there's a biblical worldview where we view life through the lens of God's word. There's an anti-biblical worldview where we refuse to believe any of the Bible. And then there is a confused worldview. Now, this is where our biblical worldview has been hijacked. And this is, frankly, I would say what I struggle with at times and what I would venture to say many of you struggle with at times or even today. And, and a confused worldview is where we take what we know about the Bible— what we know the Bible says, and we start to mix it, because we don't know the Bible as well as we should, and sometimes we just don't like what it says, we start to mix it with other important-sounding things. So the things that my friends teach me, the things that my teachers have taught me, my professors at college, the thing that I heard on the internet, because the internet is always true, the thing that... Um, 
that my parents want me to believe. Whatever it is, I take what little I know and I start to add. Uh, Pastor David used the descriptor of a buffet, right? Right? So I put my salad on my plate. I don't know why you would go to a buffet to eat salad, but it happens. Right? So I put my salad on my plate, and then I start to pick and choose what else I want on it. Right? So I've got a healthy foundation of iceberg lettuce. I know. I know. And then I want beets. Who puts beets on a salad? Well, stop it. Right? But I might take some radishes. Right? Definitely a lot of cheese. Bacon bits? Yeah. Right? And so I craft my salad from this buffet line however I want. Right? That's what we do with our worldview. We start with what we think is a basic Christian worldview. The things we know, the things we remember that we were taught, that we liked. And then we start to craft it with other things that sound good. With other things that are palatable. With other things that seem like it should make sense. And funny, we play this game, right? Where maybe I've said this before, maybe you've said it before, but well, you know, the God I serve would definitely think this way, right? And so we start to pick and choose because you're like, well, if this is the way that, I I mean, I'm an enlightened person, right? I, I know stuff. I'm fairly intelligent, fairly, not like all the way intelligent, but fairly. I mean, I went to college. I've talked to people. And so I, and I think I'm a relatively good person. And so I think, well, if I'm fairly educated and I'm relatively good, then if this is something I think is true, then God must agree with me. So I'll put that on my salad. And and, and this is the way that we walk through it. But the problem is, of course, that that's how it's been hijacked, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig into the Word of God and we're going to see. But, but, Before we start, I want to say this. There is an obvious problem that happens for the church when people claiming the name of Christ speak for the church and they say things that aren't true. That's not rocket science, but that's how a confused worldview starts to break denominations. It's how a confused worldview starts to split the church to what we would call now a conservative church and a liberal church. The problem happens when when we start to allow people to speak for us in the name of Christ when they're not speaking true things. Preach it, right? Audrey's with us. So we're going to dig in here, uh, and we're going to start specifically with humanism today because humanism is the foundational, fundamental flaw in thinking that leads to all other confused worldviews. Hey, that's why it goes first. That's why we start with it. Humanistic worldview says this. We all have our own truth, and it's equally valid. Now, on the surface, we would say that's kind. That's polite. Right? So what's wrong with that? How is that not biblical? God is kind, and he's polite. Jesus is kind, and he's polite. So because we don't know the word of God as well as we want to, we say, well, well, Obviously, Jesus is kind. Obviously, Jesus is not harsh and mean, which, eh, read it. But, but obviously, that's true. And so, therefore, we can't argue with this, that we all have our own truth and it's all equally valid, right? How many times have we even said in agreement, look, your perception is your reality? Right? I get it. I understand it. 
But here's the problem. It's not biblical. My sincerity and what I believe to be true doesn't make something true. This is coffee. I am convinced it's coffee. Somebody else could have put something else in there, and I would be sincerely wrong, right? I can be sincere, but I would be sincerely wrong. Travis, I gave you $5. When Travis was three, he was way into Buzz Lightyear. Like, way into Buzz Lightyear. Like, he wore a Buzz Lightyear costume 24-7. In fact, at one point, he got so big, we got rid of it and got another one. Because he loved Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz Lightyear flew. And so Travis, in his Buzz Lightyear costume, wings out, stood at the top of our stairs, going down to the basement. Parent of the year right here. Watching him going, what are you doing, buddy? Not ever in a million years thinking that my son legitimately thought that if he yelled to infinity and beyond and dove, that he would fly. That was his truth. And he believed it. He broke a collarbone. Sincerity does not equal truth, no matter how much we wish that it did. Right? It just doesn't. So we have to figure this out. So a humanistic worldview says we all have our own truth that's equally valid. Here's the problem. A biblical worldview contradicts that harshly. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I know you know the creation story. Right? But let's just back up and look at it for a second. In the beginning, God. There was nothing else. Nothing existed that was not the God of the universe. Nothing existed besides the triune God of, wasn't even the God of the universe then. He was just God, right? Because he hadn't created the universe yet. Nothing exists except for God. And then God creates everything that exists. We read that in, in, in uh, John 1, right? That, that nothing exists that doesn't find its beginning in God. He is the author of all life. He is the, the creator of every single thing that there is. We have a small group right now going through Genesis. And I'm sure they spent more than enough time on Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. Listen, you, what you believe about the creation of the world matters. If you are going to have a biblical worldview, then you have to believe that God created the world. Now, you can argue with me. Did he create it in six days? Did he create it in 60 billion years? Listen, we can have that discussion and we can have a healthy debate on that. And I'm not all that worried about that right now. What I'm worried about is can we agree that God created everything from nothing? And if we can agree that God created everything from nothing, then we have the beginnings of a biblical worldview. Why? Because when you create everything from nothing, guess what? Nothing exists that you didn't cause to be, so therefore you set the standards. You set the rules. That's the thing is a humanistic worldview says we all have our own truth and it's equally valid. A biblical worldview says this. God is the creator of all and therefore he is the author of truth. He decides what's true. He decides that three-year-old boys that really want to can't fly downstairs. Even if they have wings. Even if they yell to infinity and beyond, they're still going to plummet. The laws of gravity that God put in place are going to to exist in that moment, sincerity be darned. Right? Because God creates everything, God is the 
standard of objective truth. And we just have to understand that. Because when we get that, if we can agree that that should be right, if we can say, yeah, you know what, no matter what other people say, no matter what sounds good, no matter what's coming in that's bleeding into the church, and no matter what people don't like or do like or whatever, no matter any of that, if I can agree with this, that God created everything, and if God creates everything, well, then he gets to decide the standard of truth. He puts that out. If we can agree to this, then, then guess what? Everything else starts to fall into place. The problem is that even though we know this, we still get dumb. Look at Eve, right? Again, you know the story, but we got to walk through how this happens. Genesis 3.1, we get the question. Like, listen, I hope that you have confidence in your belief that God is good. I hope you have confidence in your belief that God created everything. I hope you have confidence in your belief that God is for you and he is the objective author of all truth. But as much confidence as you have in that, guess what? Eve had more. Adam had more. I mean, they were there when God created them. Like, they didn't exist. All of a sudden, they exist, and they're thinking adults. They're not babies that just take our words for it because they see pictures and videos, right? One moment they weren't, the next moment they are. Hey, look, there's God. They understand this. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt God creates everything, that everything God has created is good, that I want for nothing, that there is pleasure abounding in my life. And yet, even there, Satan comes in with a question. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? And of course, Eve says, no, 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 God didn't say that. God said eat from everything, just not this one. And Satan says, well, that's because God's hiding from you. He's holding back. Because even though he says this is true, it's not true. You shouldn't listen. So what, what Satan is saying to Eve and Adam here is like, you know what? That God is trying to get in your way of getting what would really make you happy. And look at it. Doesn't it look good? Doesn't it look pleasing to the eye? Doesn't it look like it should taste delicious? And she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and it was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. And so she took it, and she ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And here's the problem. Here's what happens. This is this fundamental flaw with the way that we're wired if we're not careful. This is how humanism creeps in to everything that we're about. We've decided that if it's pleasing to the eye, and if it's pleasurable for us to have, then there's no way that a good God would tell us no. See, this is what we do. This is where we think we're being Christian, but really we're being agents of the enemy because we think it's pleasing to the eye and it is good to bring me pleasure. And there's no way that a God of the universe would put something in front of me that would bring me pleasure and then tell me you can't have it. And so we just say that it must be right. And so she took it and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who ate it. And we do the exact same thing because our worldview gets hijacked right? That's what the culture does, right? To believe that all of our truths and desires are valid and they're right. And if it's pleasing to the eye, then we indulge, whether God says yes or no. 
But see, we put a biblical spin on it. We put a biblical spin on it because we say, well, if it's good and pleasing to the eye, and if it will bring us pleasure, then the God I serve would want me to have it. The God I serve would never say no. The God that I love would want me to have everything that makes me happy. And this is where we live, and this is where we get off. And guys, it hijacks our worldview, and it's jacking with the church. Because we don't know the word as well as we should. And because we listen to people that speak with authority and assume they know what they're talking about. Listen, I've told you this many, many times, and I will tell you this many, many more times. Don't trust me. I mean, trust me. But don't take my word for it. Read the thing yourself. Like, I'm not giving you secret knowledge. I'm just telling you what's in here. Go read it for yourself. You don't just assume that I'm right because I say it. But what happens in this is we convince ourselves that, that either one of two things is true. Either God wants us to have pleasure, and so he just gives us everything that our heart desires because it, it's pleasing to the eye, or we go the other way and we say, well, God doesn't want us to have any pleasure. God just hates pleasure. I want to tell you from the beginning that the pursuit of pleasure is not the end goal of your life. That's the goal of humanism. The goal of humanism is the pursuit of pleasure at all costs. To enjoy and have pleasure in your life and to give you your heart's desire no matter what. That's not God's chief end for your life, but God is not opposed to pleasure. Look, Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart. You look at that in Hebrew, you know what that means? A pleasurable life. A pleasurable life is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. A pleasurable life makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. God desires for you to have pleasure. John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying, pleasurable, full life. God is not anti-pleasure. God wants you to experience pleasure. Why else? I, I mean, how else do you explain the human body? Taste buds? Listen. Listen. Stuff tastes good. Right? Think about your favorite thing to eat and how good it tastes and the pleasure that it brings you. It's good, right? How many of you are thinking about pizza? You don't even get to talk, beet lady. Beets? No, my wife loves pickled beets. It's like two terrible beets, and then you pickle them. Was it pizza? Who was thinking about pizza? Deep dish? Melanie, you and I, right here. Here's the thing, right? Taste buds. Why do roses smell good? God created us with sensory organs. Why do roses, why does a back massage feel so darn pleasurable? Do we think that surprised God? Why is sex inside of marriage so fulfilling and enjoyable? God is not anti-pleasure. God is the creator and author of pleasure. But what humanism does is it hijacks it and it perverts it and it changes it. And it tells you that what your heart desires, even though your heart is wicked, right? That's not me saying that your heart is wicked and stupid, right? Isaiah says that. The heart is deceitful above all things and wicked. Who can know it? But because your heart wants it, you decide that God must want you to have it. No. No. 
I'll just go back here for a second. So, so there's a couple of ways um, as, we, as we get, again, we're just talking about in general what a worldview is and how humanism has crept its way in. I want to give you just two concrete examples, and these are dangerous, and I'm going to do them anyway. So if you have a problem with something that I'm about to say, I hope that you will do me the honor of having a conversation with me about it later. Don't get mad at what I'm about to say and, and storm away and never talk to me again, right? Because of what I'm telling you is, is very clearly biblical things, but they're challenging, okay? So if you have a, a, a concern, share it with me and let's talk, but, but I want to share these with you. So there's a couple of ways that um, humanistic worldview has started to creep its way into the church and in, into just our culture in general. And I'm just going to share a couple with you. There are a lot more, but here's the first one. My body, my choice. My body, my choice sounds biblical. Right? It sounds biblical. And in a lot of ways, it is so right and in line with it, what God would say. Right? My body, my choice. Who do I spend time with? Who do I choose to surround myself with? That's my choice. Who gets to touch me? That's my choice, right? What do I have to agree to or consent to? No, no, that's my choice. That is a very true biblical truth. Like, like no, that there's reality there. But the problem is this line of thinking is so pervasive, and, and it's all about, like, what you want is most important. And so we can take it to extremes. And these are conversations that I've had with people. So it's not like I'm just sitting up here thinking of the randomest, weirdest examples. These are conversations that I've had. Well, the Bible says very clearly we should not get drunk and we should not use um, illegal hallucinogenic drugs. Why? Because it alters our state of mind and we become dependent on them and we become transformed by them and we should instead be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. But yet we do these and I've had people, hey, you know what? What business is it of yours? What business is it of the church? It's my body. It's my choice. I'm like, well, yeah, I get that. Except wait, God says something different. Don't be drunk with wine. Because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we went on in that text, it, basically it says because you're being controlled by something that's not God. So don't do it. And so we, we start to see, well, no, no, no. If we're going to have a biblical worldview, we have to stop getting drunk. Listen, getting drunk is not just some easy, little, nice, respectable thing. Being intoxicated, even if you're not a mean, ugly drunk, being intoxicated is sinful. But my body, my choice. Yeah, I get it. But actually, God trumps that. The other, the other place I've had this conversation is, is with regards to abortion. It's my body. It's my choice. See, I get that. I do. I get it. But I read Exodus 20.13 and I can't get around it. You must not murder. Said, but humanism says, but, but, but if it makes my life better, if it's, if it's more pleasing, if it's what I want to do, then I should get to do it. Yeah, I, I know that's what humanism says. That's not what God says. And the other one is this that we hear all the time. Love wins. Love is love. Love wins. Right? A good God, a good God that we really like, a good God that's worth worshiping, wouldn't wouldn't tell us no to something that would make us so happy. And so we get issues of, of um, homosexuality and transgenderism 
and issues of people leaving a spouse to go be with somebody else's spouse and issues of pornography and issues of sex outside of marriage because it feels good and it's what I want. And we have all of these things and we say, well, you know what? No, no, no. A good God would never tell me no to something that would make me happy. And so, you know what? Love wins. Love is love. Just let it be. The problem is God does very clearly in Scripture speak to some of these things. There is a biblical worldview that trumps what I wish, right? God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. The word there for sexual sin, it's pornea. It's a junk drawer word for sin. So if you can think of something that's a sexual sin that's outside of the bounds of sex within um, a, a biblical marriage, it fits as sexual sin. Your lust right? Your pornography, those desires that you have that you don't tell anybody about because you don't think they'll understand. Marriage that's not between a man and a woman. Like, all of these things. Like, we're not railing on any of those things except to say, look, you know what? Just because the culture has told us all of this is okay doesn't change what God says. God says, no, 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 be holy. Stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God and his ways. Right? Here's a good litmus test. If the church makes a controversial decision that the rest of the world is celebrating, odds are it's not in line with the biblical worldview. Right? Because then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who don't know God. You know what? If people out there that don't know God and don't claim to know God and don't want to know God are celebrating it, probably it's not quite as biblical as we wanted to make it out to be. And listen, that is not us. That is, well, let me speak for me. That is not me being mad at anybody that thinks differently. But there are things that we adhere to, not because... Well, not for any other reason except that it's what God says. Engaging in a biblical worldview means that we look at things the way that God does, even if we wish, even if we wish that he said it different. When it comes to people that struggle with same-sex attraction, I always feel the need to say this. I'm not mad at those folks, and here's the deal. I get it, and there's nothing about them that makes me uncomfortable, and I don't want to tell them no, because I get that the desire of their heart is this, that that's what they think. They think this is what would make me happy, and, and, and to feel like the God of the universe says, no, you can't have the one thing that would make you happy, that sucks, and I get it. I get that it's hard. Listen, the only reason that we have to stand up here, the only thing that we stand up here and say, well, I'm sorry, no, it's because God says no, and we agree to have, when we become Christians and we say, thanks, Jesus, for saving me, I'm going to turn my life over to you now. It means that I'm going to follow what he says, whether it's what I wanted to do or not. And this is one of those ways. And so this is what we do. This is biblical worldview. And if we're going to have a biblical worldview, we have to wrestle it back from the world that's tried to hijack it to make it more palatable. That's the praise team to come up, and they're going to close us out. And here's, here's what I want to say about this as, as they come up. God is not keeping things from you that would make your life better. 
I know that's what it feels like sometimes when we, when we try to wrestle with what is a biblical worldview and how has it been hijacked. And we're like, well, if God would just relent, then everything would be easier. No, God isn't trying to keep you away from things that would make you better. There is, there is this reality that as the creator of everything, God has set an order in place. And in that order, he knows better than we do. He knows better than we do. He knows what's right. We do not. It's kind of like as parents. We know what's right, even though our kids don't. Don't jump down the stairs. You can't fly, are the words that I should have said. Think of it like the yard and the fence. Like if you have a house with a backyard next to a busy road, you're going to put up the fence. And you're going to tell your kids, look, play freely in the yard. We've talked about this before. Go play freely in the yard. Stay inside the fence. Why? Because as parents, we know better. We know it's safe inside the fence. We know that outside the fence, there are things that will look to hurt you, things that may seem appealing. There may be that weird guy in the van that has candy and puppies. And candy and puppies look pleasurable. Who doesn't like to taste candy and who doesn't like to pet puppies, right? They look good. And in your heart, you're thinking, I really want to go see those puppies. I want to go touch those puppies. I want to get in that van. I know it's a weird analogy. It went too far. I know. I, I, okay. Grace. But, but here's, the, here's the deal, right? We, we, we put the fence up and we say, look, here's the deal. You may not understand why that's not good for you. But as your loving father, I do. I understand why that's not good for you. So stay inside the fence. And sometimes our kids might think, well, you're just trying to rob us of the freedom to go explore and live life and do what we want. Yeah, I get that that might be how it feels, but it doesn't change the reality that I'm asking you to stay inside the fence because I know what's good for you. And if I know that for my kids, then think about the God of the universe who creates everything and orders everything and what he knows. And the fence he puts up and he says, you know what, don't worry about what's out there. I know you think it might bring you happiness, but it won't. Play freely in the yard and enjoy all the pleasure I've given you here. Because I promise you there's a lot. Heavenly Father, God, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for all things. We thank you that you are the giver of truth, the creator of all things, and that you have clearly told us in your word what's right. I pray that you'll help us as, as a body of believers to wrestle with that together and to commit and submit to you and commit to following truth wherever it leads. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.